Welcome to Rebecca Reads. This week's story is Anansi and the Lion. Stories of Anansi come from West Africa. They are commonly called spider tales because in many stories Anansi appears as a spider. Other stories show him as a spider with human features, and in others he looks just like a normal human. Also, the name Anansi comes from the Akan word for spider. These stories were told orally, from person to person through the ages. They were taken across the sea to Jamaica and other parts of the Caribbean. Anansi is a trickster that is usually able to outsmart and triumph over much bigger opponents using cunning and creativity. He seems to be able to take a situation that seems insurmountable, and through his wit and cunning, he can turn the tide in his favor. This is one reason why these stories are so popular. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for Anansi and the Lion. Once on a time, Anansi planned a scheme. He went to town and bought ever so many firkins of fat, and ever so many sacks, and ever so many balls of string, and a very big frying pan. Then he went to the bay and blew a shell, and called the headfish in the sea, green eel to him. Then he said to the fish, The king sends me to tell you that you must bring all the fish on shore, for he wants to give them new life. So green eel said he would, and went to call them. Meanwhile Anansi lighted a fire, and took out some of the fat, and got his frying pan ready, and as fast as the fish came out of the water, he caught them, and put them into the frying pan. And so he did with all of them until he got to the head fish, who was so slippery that he couldn't hold him, and he got back again into the water. When Anansi had fried all the fish, he put them into the sacks, and took the sacks on his back and set off to the mountains. He had not gone very far when he met Lion, and Lion said to him, "'Well, brother Anansi, where have you been? I have not seen you a long time.' Anansi said, I have been traveling about. Oh, but what have you got there? said the lion. Oh, I have got my mother's bones. She has been dead these forty eleven years, and they say I must not keep her here, so I am taking her up into the middle of the mountains to bury her. Then they parted. After he had gone a little way, the lion said, I know that Anansi is a great rogue. I dare say he has got something there that he doesn't want me to see, and I will just follow him but he took care not to let Anansi see him. Now when Anansi got into the wood, he set his sacks down, and took one fish out and began to eat. Then a fly came, and Anansi said, I cannot eat any more, for there is someone near. So he tied the sack up and went on farther into the mountains, where he set his sacks down and took out two fish which he ate, and no fly came. He said, There is no one near. So he took out more fish, but when he had eaten about half a dozen, the lion came up and said, Well, brother Anansi, a pretty tale you have told me. Oh, brother lion, I am so glad you have come. Never mind what tale I have told you, but come and sit down. It was only my fun. So the lion sat down and began to eat. But before Anansi had eaten two fish, lion had emptied one of the sacks. Then said Anansi to himself, greedy fellow eating up all my fish. What do you say, sir? I only said that you do not eat half fast enough, for he was afraid the lion would eat him up. 
Then they went on eating, but Anansi wanted to revenge himself, and he said to the lion, "'Which of us do you think is the stronger?' The lion said, "'Why, I am, of course.' Then Anansi said, "'We will tie one another to the tree, and we shall see which is the stronger.' Now they agreed that the lion should tie Anansi first, and he tied him with some very fine string, and did not tie him tight. Anansi twisted himself about two or three times, and the string broke. Then it was Anansi's turn to tie the lion, and he took some very strong cord. The lion said, You must not tie me tight, for I did not tie you tight. And Anansi said, Oh, to be sure, I will not. But he tied him as tight as ever he could, and then told him to try and get loose. The lion tried and tried in vain. He could not get loose. Then Anansi thought, now is my chance. So he got a big stick and beat him, and then went away and left him, for he was afraid to loose him lest he should kill him. Now there was a woman called Miss Nancy, who was going out one morning to get some callaloo, spinach, in the wood, and as she was going she heard someone say, Good morning, Miss Nancy. She could not tell who spoke to her, but she looked where the voice came from and saw the lion tied to the tree. "'Good morning, Mr. Lion. What are you doing there?' He said, "'It is all that fellow Anansi who has tied me to the tree, but will you loose me?' But she said, "'No, for I am afraid. If I do, you will kill me.' But he gave her his word he would not. Still she could not trust him, but he begged her again and again and said, well, if I do try to eat you, I hope all the trees will cry out shame upon me. So at last she consented, but she had no sooner loosed him than he came up to her to eat her, for he had been so many days without food that he was quite ravenous. But the trees immediately cried out, Shame! And so he could not eat her. Then she went away as fast as she could, and the lion found his way home. When Lion got home, he told his wife and children all that happened to him, and how Miss Nancy had saved his life, so they said they would have a great dinner and ask Miss Nancy. Now when Anansi heard of it, he wanted to go to the dinner, so he went to Miss Nancy and said she must take him with her as her child, but she said, no. Then he said, I can turn myself into quite a little child, and then you can take me. And at last she said, yes. And he told her, when she was asked what Pap her baby ate, she must be sure to tell them it did not eat Pap, but the same food as everyone else. And so they went, and had a very good dinner, and set off home again. But somehow one of the lion's sons fancied that all was not right, and he told his father he was sure it was Anansi, and the lion set out after him. Now as they were going along, before the lion got up to them, Anansi begged Miss Nancy to put him down that he might run, which he did, and he got away and ran along the wood, and the lion ran after him. When he found the lion was overtaking him, he turned himself into an old man with a bundle of wood on his head, and when the lion got up to him, he said, "'Good morning, Mr. Lion,' and the lion said, "'Good morning, old gentleman.' Then the old man said, "'What are you after now?' And the lion asked if he had seen Anansi pass that way. But the old man said, 
No, that fellow Anansi is always meddling with someone. What mischief has he been up to now? Then the lion told him, but the old man said it was no use to follow him any more, for he would never catch him. And so the lion wished him good day and turned and went home again. Thank you for listening to Anansi and the Lion. How did Anansi use his cunning each time to trick the lion? How could the lion have avoided being tricked? Do you like to trick people? When can tricking people be fun and when can it be mean? Is there anything you can learn from this story? This week's poem is Casey at the Bat by Ernest Lawrence Thayer. This is a poem that tells a story. It reads, The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two, with but one inning more to play. And then, when Cooney died at first and Burroughs did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, and the former was a hoodoo while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Finn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hugging third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing, and a smile lit Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt twas Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then, while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye as sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the empire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of a storm waves on a stern and distant shore. "'Kill him! Kill the umpire!' shouted someone on the stand, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the dun sphere flew, but Casey still ignored it and the umpire said, "'Strike two. "'Fraud!' cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, "'Fraud!' But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold, they saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. 
The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, Somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. I want to remind you of the story competition I am holding. Write me a story and submit it to Rebecca Reads Podcast at gmail.com by March 31st. The winner will have their story read right here on my podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please give me a five-star rating and leave me a review. Keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.